0: Welcome to Countries That Don't Exist Anymore, a historical entertainment podcast about countries that don't exist anymore. On Countries That Don't Exist Anymore, we're not afraid to dig deep into historical obscurity to unearth the tenuous relics of even the most ramshackle national experiments, squint into the darkness of the past and protect your lungs from deadly fact dust as we rush to 1850s California to exhume the Great Republic of Rough and Ready.
1: Countries that don't exist anymore They used to exist but not anymore Now you know what this podcast is for It's countries that don't exist anymore Where was the Great Republic of Rough and Ready?
0: The Great Republic of Rough and Ready, or G-R-O-R-R, grew out of the town of Rough and Ready in Nevada County, California, about five miles west of Grass Valley, which is an incredibly bland name for a valley. Lo, that valley yonder! See how the majestic purple-hued mountains watch over a lush pastoral scene where the black-tailed deer gaily dart between the comely hillocks embroidered with holly leaf cherry and the babbling brooks sparkle in the brilliant sun and the proud and graceful sycamores and pines lend their shelter to a weary traveler.
1: I say we call it Grass Valley.
0: Dynamic How long did the Great Republic of Rough and Ready last? Just under three months Between April the 7th and July the 4th, 1850 It's a, it's a weird name for a country, isn't it? Rough and Ready
1: Almost sounds like a Victorian music called Double Act Do you know what, Ed? I'd imagine it going something like this
0: no, 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 no. We're not doing a sketch about how one bloke's called Ruff and one bloke's called Ready. Look, Phil, we've been doing this for ages. We're supposed to get stamps.com sponsorship, and we're not going to get it if we keep doing these protracted sketches that don't go anywhere. All right? Oh. Why was Ruff and Ready called Ruff and Ready? In autumn 1849, the town of Ruff and Ready was established by the Ruff and Ready Mining Company during the California Gold Rush. The company was named by Captain Absalon Austin Townsend, also known as Cappy. Cappy had served under the recent elected 12th President of the USA, Zachary Taylor, whose nickname was Old Rough and Ready. The two had served together during the Black Hawk War of 1832, a war that was incidentally a young Abraham Lincoln's first taste of action. What was the California Gold Rush? The California Gold Rush kicked off in 1848 when gold was found at Sutter's Mill in Coloma, California. This seemed like bad news to mill owner John Sutter, who rather than celebrating having loads of gold on his land, was rather annoyed that his planned farming operation might be disturbed. It was also bad news for Mexico, who had recently had to hand over territory to the United States after losing the Mexican-American War and had no idea that the land was worth anything. This isn't the first time that incredibly valuable land has basically been given away. We all remember the time when Russia sold the USA, Alaska, totally unaware of the wealth of oil underground. You're welcome to it. That sticky vodka they have everywhere is disgusting. News of California's vast gold wealth was spread by the hashtag fake news media and 300,000 people flooded in from all over the world to strike it rich. Up until then, California had been the home of a few Mexicans and one mule with dreams of stardom but a day job in a mailroom. But all that was about to change. Where did all these gold miners come from? Short answer, everywhere. Americans relocated from 21 out of the then 30 states of the USA. Foreigners came from 25 countries including China, Australia, Britain, Chile, Peru, Mexico and Hawaii. This changed the demographics of the area completely. For example, when the gold rush started there were six Chinese people living in California. That rose within a year to 12,000 and getting there wasn't easy either. Sea journeys could take up to four months. That's an amazing amount of time to be continually enthusiastic about gold mining. You could hear the news in Sydney and think Woohoo! Gold! I'm gonna be richer, tells you, Rich! About. So, you jump aboard a merchant ship and a couple of months later you're like
1: Hooray! Gold mining! Two months on a ship. Truth, I'm seasick. Are we nearly there yet?
0: No. no. And if you came from the other direction, you had to either come up on a ship via South America's Cape Horn, which is famous for huge storms and shipwrecks, or you got up to Panama because it was the thinnest bit of land to cross at, got off your ship, hopped on a mule or a native canoe, risked horrible diseases, then you caught another ship on the other side. And even the overland route from the east coast of the USA could take five, six months or even a year. Settlers banded together and formed companies, like the Rough and Ready Mining Company, that started their wagon train heading for Oregon before heading south to California. And no matter how easy the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air made it sound, it's actually really hard to get into California. There are only two places you can get through the Sierra Nevada mountains, and if you got the timing wrong, you might freeze to death, or you might even have to commit cannibalism like the Donner Party did in 1846. So, while moving from, say, West Philadelphia to California was easy in the late 20th century, it was an ordeal 150 years ago.
1: Now this is a story all about how I nearly froze to death and I ate my pal. I'd like to take miniature, sitting right there about how I ate my wife and my horse got mauled by a bear.
0: The California Gold Rush was the biggest migration in American history. In 1848 alone, 90,000 people moved into California and 90% of immigrants into California were male and young men at that and we all know what that means. Lots of football chat and farting? Yes, but in a place where there was basically no law enforcement and heavily armed young men carrying around gold with no banks to store it in, justice was very much local if it even existed at all. Vigilantes, whipped or lynched, whoever it was decided had committed a transgression. At the peak of the gold rush, California was a nasty place to be. When someone struck gold, they could be bullied off their plot. Others pretended they had struck gold and sold off their worthless plot at an inflated price. In the early days, there was plenty of land to go round, but as men flooded in and the available claims diminished there was more violence, which became racially targeted with Chinese and Mexicans bearing the brunt. There were a few moments of interracial solidarity over tax and tax was really what the Republic of Rough and Ready was all about, but on the whole, it was all racially divided and all really violent. It's basically Westworld, as long as your fantasy Wild West adventure is getting mugged and beaten up a lot. And yet it's said that it was during the gold rush that the American dream was really forged. Makes total sense when you have the full picture.
1: What were living conditions like? Really nice or just okay?
0: Well, people lived in boarding houses where available. The few women around could make money cooking and letting people sleep on their floors or have men sleep in their beds for the platinum package. But most miners lived in tents which were everywhere, especially in places like Rough and Ready. Usually when we think of American expansion we think of creeping expansion from east to west, but settlements sprung up around wherever gold was found no matter how remote that was and no matter how little infrastructure there was. How was the gold extracted? Well, it starts off uh, with panning, you know what you think about that, that sort of slow sifting. The lone prospector and his mule sieving gold dust in a creek. But the idea of the individual striking it rich didn't last long. See, gold wasn't generally found in big fat nuggets, it was scattered about a lot. So getting enough of it together could be a slow process that many couldn't afford to do. So the individual was quickly replaced by capital-intensive operations, which were far more aggressive at getting the gold. The mythic 49ers go from rugged individualism to corporate sellouts overnight. Ah, the American dream. And the gold extraction got intense. Rivers had their courses altered. Hydraulic mining washed away entire hillsides. When that didn't work, there were explosives. Or ore would be dug up and the gold extracted with gallons of poisonous mercury, which California is poisoned with to this day.
1: So, was there a lot of gold?
0: Oh yes, between 1848 and 1860, 600 million dollars of gold were extracted, that's tens of billions in today's standards. The amount of gold circulating in the US economy increased by 20 times. The influx of miners and the accompanying services to support them made California and certain Californians rich. By the early 1850s there are 300,000 miners. If you wanted to get rich, forget about gold. The best thing you could do was to sell mining equipment. Leland Stanford started his fortune selling dry goods and became one of the richest men in the USA, just like Jeff Bezos during lockdown. Meanwhile, Levi Strauss got rich selling sturdy denim jeans to miners. The linking of California by railroad to the rest of the USA led to the US booming and overtaking Britain as the leading industrial power and the largest economy by 1900. The prospects of the USA were changing overnight, but it wasn't the only thing that was changing. The result of hundreds of thousands of miners doing this in a frenzy of gold lust, environmental devastation. Five and a half times more dirt was extracted from the gold rush than from digging the Panama Canal. Something like 12 million tons. So much dirt was removed and made its way downstream that the tidal patterns were altered. 5,000 miles of artificial rivers were created which were promptly poisoned with mercury. What was good news for the few was terrible news for the local Native American population. The Native Americans of California were diverse with many different peoples, but their numbers declined from 150,000 to 30,000 during the gold rush. California had been an abundant wilderness with native people still living off the land as hunter-gatherers. The gold rush washed away that life with the rest of nature. Natives lost their land. Discrimination was institutionalized by the state of California. California. Native people were sold into slavery and there were massacres. In 1850, a law was passed called the Act for the Governance and Protection of Indians, which made it legal to confiscate their land. If Indians were found loitering around places that sold alcohol, they could be put in jail and sold into servitude. A US governor of the time said, there is a clash of nations here and the Indians should be exterminated. For better or for worse, probably worse, California was transformed. San Francisco's population swelled from 200 residents in 1846 to 36,000 in 1852. California was suddenly developed with roads, schools and churches. In 1849, a state constitution was written. In September 1850, extremely rich California was hurriedly admitted as a state into the Union for some reason during an event called the California Compromise. The compromise between the northern and southern states went something like this. We don't think we should have slavery anymore. Well, let's compromise by keeping slavery. Agreed, gentlemen. Let's never go to war over the subject. Agreed. Compromise. Within a matter of years, California went from western backwater to suddenly producing the Republican presidential nominee for 1856, John C. Fremont. Um, yeah, yay. And there was much rejoicing. Except for James Sutter. Not only were the miners taking over his land and stealing his crops and cattle, but for some reason, he couldn't seem to keep workers interested in cattle farming with so much gold going spare.
1: You flashin' the pan, nitwits. You see what comes out of the back of cows? That's brown gold. Get your fingers right in there. Mm mm. Sweet meat, brown gold. is gonna make us rich. See that over there? That's a brown gold
0: mine. You mean that big pile of shit? Yep. Get yourself under there and put it in the back of the wagon.
1: Oh, but hang on. What about Rough and Ready?
0: At the end of February 1850, and only after a few months in the area, old Cappy Townsend and his Rough and Ready company extracted over $40,000 of gold. At that point, the water springs failed and there was nothing more to drink. But as the old poem goes, when the last well is dry, just drink money. Townsend was so impressed with the results of the first few weeks of prospecting that he went off to Wisconsin to recruit more miners. Unless you're a character in Game of the Thrones, travelling such a large distance takes a while. By the time he got back with reinforcements, however, he found the place a riot of 400 miners who'd moved in, bags at all the best spots, and were in a frenzy of mining activity. There was barely any unclaimed land left for the new rough-and-ready company employees to pitch their tents. In the age of the California gold rush, anything was possible. The West was wild and free. Young men came barreling out west to seek their fortune without the moderating influence of family, well-established local governors or churches. The result? Party time! It's
1: pretty freeing, ain't it? No women, no church, no government. We all do as
0: we please and we get rich doing it. Wanna get naked and break nine out of the ten of the commandments? I thought you'd never ask. But the party wouldn't last forever. At this moment in time, California was trying to get admission into the United States. This meant cleaning up their act and looking like a respectable govern kind of place. The federal government also wanted a piece of this lucrative mining industry. Rough and Ready quickly exploded into a population of 3,000 after it was reported that a gold nugget weighing 18 pounds had been found. So, the town of Rough and Ready was barely established before it seceded from the Union and established itself as the Great Republic of Rough and Ready. But why? 1. Federal government were proposing a new mining tax. 2. Possible alcohol prohibition demanded by Nevada County. Now, whether this was going to happen or not, word was going around that the government was going to try and stop gold miners from drinking. Bad idea. 3. Government's ineffectual approach to law enforcement. Essentially, Rough and Ready had turned into a chaotic anarchy of drunken miners squabbling over claims, prostitution, and incredibly long fistfights. I mean, if you will call a town Rough and Ready, what do you expect? They should have called it Law and Order. So, Rough and Ready went from a little village to a mash shanty town of tents, alcoholism, and prostitution. What the miners really liked doing was drinking what they didn't like doing was paying tax. And the way they wanted things run was the way they wanted to run things.
1: that's really it's really profound.
0: Yeah, I just uh, changed a few words around. Uh, so, ah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You get that. You know. oh, what's another... What's another what's uh, ask gonna, not what you can do uh, for your country, ask what your country can do for you. Yeah. Um If in a hospital, if uh, you go backwards, you end up wards back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I some of true. them are yeah, profound.
1: Yeah. If you... If you always uh, look back, you end up back looking.
0: God, Phil, you really should have that tattooed.
1: Follow us on uh, Instagram for more. Um, Are we on Instagram?
0: No. Okay. At a hastily called town meeting, townsfolk decided to forge out on their own and secede from the union. The first action was to appoint one E.F. Brundage as their leader. Then they came up with this proclamation known as Brundage's Manifesto. We declare because
1: it be God's will to perpetuity, we cease to be reduced to seeing our property and the lives being taken over by those not of us, but those against us. Therefore, we the people of the township of Rough and Ready, deem it necessary and prudent to withdraw from the territory of California and from these United States to form peacefully, if we can, and forcibly, if we must, the Great Republic of Rough and Ready."
0: They also appointed a Secretary of State, Justice of the Peace, Hans Q. Roberts. They made and raised a flag, which looks a bit like a Sex Pistols album cover. They also wrote out a constitution which seemed to be cherry-picked from the US Declaration of Independence and Constitution. But Article 1 of the Rough and Ready Constitution really tells us what the Great Republic was all about. All men are by nature
1: created free and independent, and have certain rights, among which are the enjoyment and defending of life and liberty, acquiring, possessing, and protecting property, and, um, the pursuit of happiness. Do
0: you see what they did there? It also defined its borders, which amounted to 200 square miles of land. This may be the same size as the average American's garden shed, and may sound like very little for a great republic, but this effectively made them 40 square miles larger than Barbados and 20 larger than Andorra. Not too shabby. There's also a local legend that a con man was scamming prospectors in the town with a mining scheme, and as soon as the town seceded, the con man was hanged. What this tells us is that at this time in American history, things like secession weren't quite the big deal it would be today. These unknown parts were being discovered, established and made up as people went along. This was the era of the Wild West. Now this is reflected in the response of the central government that happened after Rough and Ready's provocative declaration. So what was this response? Were they met with charging cavalry and firing cannons from California? Nope. In fact, the creation of this new republic barely registered. The Great Republic of Rough and Ready looked like it could exist in peace, but it was not to be. So why did the Great Republic of Rough and Ready last only three months? This is the time when I would usually tell you about you know, foreign policy and domestic policy and all of that, but as far as I can tell, none of that happened. People got on with their business of mining and whoring and drinking. In fact, the most momentous event in the country's brief history was a large fire that swept through the town on June the 28th, 1850. Immediately after independence, everybody was in high spirits, and so, as usual, they all did a load of drinking. Then there was the fire, which people drank their way through. But then they realised that the biggest party of the year, Independence Day on July the 4th, was no longer something they could be a part of. Now what miners really really like more than anything is a party. Rough and ready was pretty much partying 365 days a year anyway but all this revelry was just a warm-up for the 4th of July celebrations. You see back in the 19th century there was no bigger party than the 4th of July and the idea that the Rough and Redians would miss this shindig was unfathomable it didn't occur to them that there would be a problem with this just because of the minor detail of them seceding from the union. It's even said that the reality of this state of affairs struck home when rough and Redians went to neighbouring towns to buy liquors only to be told, We don't serve foreigners. Shocked at this state of affairs, President EF Brundage called another town meeting on 4th of July and after much discussion, it was decided to rejoin the union. I open this first Constitutional Congress of the Great Republic of Rough and Ready. First Adam on the agenda. Y'all want to forget this whole thing and just get really, really drunk? Yep. Republic adjourned! Woo! And this was followed immediately by a massive party.
1: So the Great Republic of Rough and Ready came to an end just because people wanted to get really drunk.
0: Um, this seems to be literally the reason. But this isn't to say that this event didn't forge a strong local identity. For example, there was a big dispute when Rough and Reddians had lobbied hard to get a post office. Oh, yeah, Stamps.com. So, Ed, I was, uh,
1: I was in the post office the other day trying to deliver some merch to the listeners, right? I said, and we're not doing a Stamps.com advert. I mean, I've told you, they won't pay us. All right, fine. Um, Stamps.com, the better way to cook. Ed, do you like cooking? Yes, well, Stamps.com... They'll send you different letters every uh, week, and you can try out an, a new recipe. There's what? It...
0: There's the le- they send you a, an envelope with the recipe inside. No, you you you, you yeah, That is that. Those are the ingredients. It's an edible envelope. Well, I'm just reading. The I think, co- I I'm just think, reading the copy. I think you're thinking of Blue Apron. Oh yeah, yeah. Blue Apron. Blue Apron. Yeah, uh, wait. Let me. I've got to. So,
1: yeah. Um, blue apron, get a, get a blue apron mattress, no more bad backs or sleepless
0: nights. I think that's, um, Casper, edu- that's Casper mattresses, you, actually.
1: Hey, we've done three adverts. We're going to be raking it in.
0: Woohoohoo! <laughs> Talk about a gold mine. Yeah, I was trying to. Although the area did get a post office on the July the 14th, 1851, the US Postal Service wanted to change the town name to either Rough or Ready, thus taking the Rough or the Ready out of Rough and Ready. And the locals were not having it. They were rough and Redians and that was the way it was going to stay, and does to this day.
1: Why should we care about the great Republic of Rough and Ready?
0: Well, for one thing, it seceded from California and the United States purely because it didn't care for outside interference, and that's no small thing. It didn't like outsiders telling them how they wanted to run things, and this mentality would be replicated on a much larger scale when southern slave-owning states seceded from the Union as a precursor to the Civil War. In the case of Rough and Ready, there was no civil war. In fact, in 1948, it was discovered that Rough and Ready had actually never been officially allowed back into the Union, and the US Attorney General welcomed it back almost a century later. The events of Rough and Ready's brief melodrama are annually celebrated in Rough and Ready, which includes celebrations, traditional play commemorating the events, and you've guessed it... stillcom? No, drinking. Mm-hmm. But national further and a feeling of not belonging has never quite left.
1: So is the great republic of rough and ready definitely a country that doesn't exist anymore? Cause if not, we've got branding issues, major branding issues. I mean, do the countries exist or don't they? Hmm? In
0: 2014, there was substantial support amongst town folk for secession. There was a sense of unrest about the distant and uncaring nature of county and state politicians. As social and fiscal conservatives, they felt quite apart from liberal California. Ruff and Redians demanded freedom from government oppression and an end to the brainwashing of their precious children by the corrupting liberal media.
1: See, kids? And that's how Adam and Eve won the Super Bowl
0: whilst riding a dinosaur. You get the idea. Secession supporters wanted to keep more of their tax dollars, control their water resources, and reopen their long-abandoned gold mines. Sounds familiar? Is it exactly the same arguments as the first time round? Bingo. But how are these social conservatives planning on supporting themselves? Unlike back in 1850, Rough and Ready can't bankroll itself on gold. Step forward, Mayor Ronald T.K. Parker. His solution? Legalise prostitution and gambling in an effort to attract more tourism. He says... We like to refer to this as the sex
1: session uh, of Rough and Ready. We want to be recognised as the entertainment destination of rural Northern California that's not really in
0: California. Forgive me for generalising, but those conservative Christian types seem to hate the sinner but love the sin. I.e. prostitution and that. Other ideas that have been tossed around to bring in more revenue are interactive goal panning, full service Asian foot massages and Merica a retail store that only sells items that are made in the USA so maybe we might still see the great republic of rough and ready rise again as a mining themed Disneyland for patriotism and prostitution it's what Jesus would have wanted quite and that's the story so far of rough and ready hey not a bad episode and look Look, thanks for cutting that stupid rough and oh, ready no, musical sketch. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know you were keen, but I'm just thinking about the audience. I just think we need more history and less stupid sketches, No, right?
1: no I, yeah, I agree, I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I'll I'll I'll, uh, I'll finish up here, do the editing. Uh, if you want to pop John pop out to the pub. Oh. Yeah, okay. Yeah, thanks. Maybe just get me a just get a pint ready or something. Yeah, or no, I'll yeah. get them in. Now. You get them in and I'll I'll,
0: yeah. I'll just going to do if the editing. You, uh, you come in with us, shouty, shouty man.
1: Yes! Um can I have will there be crisps?
0: Yeah, yeah, we get some crisps, yeah. No okay,
1: well I'll see you down there. Okay. I'll get to
0: so the booth. Hi,
1: well I'll see you in a bit. I'll see you just, uh, yeah. yeah, I'll see you later. Hi you. Alright. Yeah, I'll finish up the episode alright. I'll finish it up real nice with an excellent sketch about a certain little Victorian comedy duo called Rough and Red I just forgot
0: oh. my coat. Alright. You seem to have your hand over the record button.
1: Oh no no, I'm just uh I'm just I'm just deleting the uh the the oh, no, the, uh, the sketch.
0: Say, is it? Oh well I can wait around for that, it's not a problem. No, oh,
1: pff, nah, it's not worth it really. Um just go go ahead, get get us a pint in. Well, see you
0: down there. Yeah, next. see you, Ed, See ya
1: <laughs> get this. Ladies and gentlemen for your and delight, my name is Mr. Ruff. And I'd be honoured in such a steam company to introduce you to my associate and partner in merriment. Mr... Oh, where is he? Oh, where is he? Oh, he's still backstage. I say, are you ready? I am, sir. Then come out, sir, and greet these fine
0: people. I'm not ready. But you just stated to the contrary, sir. I did not. I merely confirmed that my name was indeed Mr. Reddy. I made no such affirmations about my status.
1: Enough of this tomfoolery. Come out at once, sir. Very well.
0: Yeah. I apologise for the miscommunication and give my word as a gentleman that no such ambiguity will occur for the furtherance of this appearance. Let's shake on it. Ow gadzook, sir! Like shaking hands with an emery bot. Why are your hands so rough? Why are my hands so...
1: Rough. Yes? Yes what? My patience is quite exhausted. Fisticuffs. Take that. <clears throat> and that. <clears throat> don't get rough. Don't get what?
0: <laughs> uh, brilliant. Join us next time when, in a first, for countries that don't exist anymore, we will be joined by an actual historical... <sighs> Experts. Oh, High profile historian Professor Kathy Burke will be joining us. Woo. So make sure if you have any questions about the Gold Rush or the Republic of Rough and Ready, contact us on CTDEA at gmail.com or at CTDEA pod on the Twitters.
1: Countries that don't exist anymore They used to exist but not anymore Now you know what this podcast is for It's countries that don't exist (laughs) Real!